0: Greetings Earthling, you have landed on Renegade Files, your underground connection to paranormal tales, unsolved mysteries, and covert culture. I'm your host Lex Gordon, broadcasting a pirate radio signal from the Jungle Villa outpost, deep in the uncharted tropics. This is Renegade Files episode 12, the Socorro UFO sighting. On April 24th in 1964, Socorro police officer Lonnie Zamora was returning to the station at the end of an uneventful day. What happened next marked the end of his boring days for the foreseeable future. On that afternoon, Lonnie Zamora witnessed what has become one of the most enduring unexplained UFO sightings in American history. This is a case with a credible witness whose character has remained sterling from day 1 it is also a case with a few very late in the game and frankly desperate debunking attempts which are worth going over for their sheer comedic value. On this episode of Renegade Files, we will examine the claims put forth by Officer Lonnie Zamora, investigate the physical evidence and the photographic records of the sighting and its aftermath, and entertain some of the straw-grasping attempts to explain away this unique UFO event. So grab your Geiger counter, your 8mm home movie camera, and your mirrored shades and come with me once again to the American Southwest and help me investigate the Socorro UFO Sighting. The Socorro UFO Sighting. The Socorro UFO Sighting. The Socorro UFO Sighting. Part 1. In Hot Pursuit of a Close Encounter In the small town of Socorro, New Mexico, on April 24, 1964, New Mexico State Police Officer Lonnie Zamora was returning to the station at the end of his shift around 5.45pm. He made his way along a two-lane road just outside of town. As he drove, he encountered a speeding car and he began pursuit. Right away, it could be said that this speaks to his integrity because the easier thing to do when you're a policeman 15 minutes away from being off for the day is to let a speeding car drive on and head back to the station to clock out. But before he could pull the car over, he noticed a large boiling dust cloud and a flash of light in the rugged terrain just off the main road. Zamora thought it could have been some high school kids racing on the back roads and that one of them might have turned over. Because this situation potentially involved injuries, he abandoned the speeding car to investigate. The side road leading through the scrub brush was bumpy, with washouts and large rocks here and there, so he drove slowly. He also realized that the location of the commotion was in the vicinity of a mining shed where he knew there to be dynamite stored, and he feared there may have been an explosion whether this was a car wreck or a dynamite explosion it didn't look good and he hoped that whatever it was no one had been injured he rounded a curve and crested a small hill at this point he saw what was kicking up the dust and causing those flashes of light a white vertically oriented object was descending toward the ground causing plumes of tan dust to roil up from the arid new mexico soil Beneath it was a fiery cone-shaped glow. He watched the object as he continued along the rocky road to a flat spot where he could park his police cruiser. By the time he exited his vehicle the craft had landed and he could see it resting in an arroyo between two shrubs. The odd egg-shaped craft was perched on four legs, was about 20 feet tall, and displayed an angular red insignia on the white exterior. It did not say USA, it did not say Air Force, it did not say NASA, and it had no other logos or markings on it that he could see. He started toward the object, minding his footing as he made his way from the high ground where his patrol car was parked, down the gentle but rugged slope of the gully. He stopped some 30 or so yards away from the landed craft which is pretty close and from there he saw two figures which he described as being dressed in white and the size of adolescent children. At this point we can imagine that Zamora is going through what psychologists call an escalation of hypotheses. This is the process the mind uses when experiencing something vastly out of the ordinary people typically begin with relating the experience to reality. So, in Zamora's case, when he first saw the flashes of light and an object in the rugged distant terrain, he thought it might have been a car crash or a downed airplane. Upon a closer viewpoint, when he sees it isn't either of those things, recognizes it as an egg-shaped craft on landing gear, and knowing he's near the White Sands Air Force missile range, he probably thought it was some military project. But the presence of these odd small figures in all white confounded his understanding. He surveyed the general area to see if there were any other people or vehicles he could see. He moved closer, walking with care over the tumbled rocky ground. The craft appeared to be metal, was gleaming white, and had no windows or visible doors or even seams. The only marking on the object was the single red insignia that looked like an arch with an upward facing arrow under it and a horizontal line below that. He said it was unlike any symbol he had ever seen. At one point, he realized the figures were gone. He heard a mechanical metallic clunking sound took a step or two back and was startled by a loud explosion that caused the ground to shake. He saw a bright blue glow emitting from the bottom of the craft and he stumbled backwards watching a cloud of dust stir to a great height and the craft with a roar began to ascend. Instinctively, he scrambled back to take cover on the far side of his police car. In the panic, he fumbled and lost his glasses, He tried to call for backup, but his radio was dead. From behind the car, he watched the object ascend into the sky. The roaring sound suddenly stopped. He watched the object, its landing gear no longer protruding from the craft, and it hovered silently 20 or 30 feet above the ground for about one minute. Then, it slowly sailed away to the west and disappeared behind a hill. When the object had vanished from sight, his radio crackled back to life and he called for backup. He was quickly joined by New Mexico State Police Officer Sam Chavez. Here is Officer Chavez describing Zamora in his own words. Lonnie Zamora he's a very dependable, honest type of person. He's not one to create or make stories or... or or build things up to, to make it exciting, anything like that. He, he's, a, he's a very well-liked type of a person. Chavez said that Zamora was shaken up and at first didn't want to go near the landing spot. After some convincing by Chavez, the two officers proceeded into the arroyo to examine the landing site. They found burnt rocks and charred foliage at the center of the location, and the clear imprints of four landing pads, which matched the formation of the landing legs Zamora had described. The four indentations were each eight inches wide, nine inches long, and nine inches deep. Chavez searched for footprints, found no human shoe or boot prints, but did find prints spaced in what looked to be footprints, but those prints were perfect circles. Sand at the center of the landing location had been melted and fused into black glass. After calling the sighting in to the state police headquarters, the men were soon joined by an official from the Air Force. Air Force Captain Richard T. Holder, who was stationed at the White Sands Missile Range, was sent to conduct an investigation. He arrived at the scene within an hour and a half. Holder immediately designated the site as a sensitive area and took the case over from the state police department. Captain Holder investigated the area extensively and concluded that there was nothing that would indicate the sighting had been a hoax, and that everything they saw seemed to support the story recounted by Officer Zamora. Here's Holder in his own words. Everything we saw seemed to support the story that Officer Zamora recounted. My impression of talking to him was that he was mystified. He wanted an explanation. Nothing that I heard of later gave me the slightest hint that he did this as a hoax or cooked it up for fame or fortune. And Lonnie Zamora wasn't the only person to see an egg-shaped craft that day opal grinder the owner of a gas station and his 13 year old son jim helped a car of tourists who were very shaken up and described seeing a white oval object fly low across the road directly over their moving car and they guessed it to be traveling at about 150 miles per hour grinder said the tourists described watching the craft pass by and land in a rugged field off the highway The station owner asked the tourists if they wanted to use his phone to report the incident to the police, and they declined, saying that the police already knew, because they had also seen a police cruiser driving up to the object and stop where the craft had landed. They assumed the officer was either investigating a crash or reprimanding this low-flying aircraft. By dark, the FBI had arrived. They set about investigating the landing spot. They measured the landing pad imprints, took readings with electronic equipment, and took samples of the burned materials and the surrounding soil. They worked for a few hours, then at around 8pm, they took Zamora to the county courthouse where they talked with him about the incident until midnight. Although he said that the entire process was stressful, Zamora also said he was happy to help the FBI. If you'd like to help the RFA, that's Renegade Files Agency, just buy something cool from our merchandise shop. You get something groovy and you help the show stay independent and ad-free. Find the shop link in the show notes and at therenegadefiles.com. Rock on. So according to Zamora, the FBI had no idea what the object was or who the occupants had been, and they never said he wasn't free to discuss the occurrence. By the next day, the UFO sighting hit the local papers and by the following morning the story had become national news. Widespread reports on the Socorro, New Mexico UFO sighting astounded audiences of radio, newspaper, and the nightly TV news shows complete with speculations about visitors from Mars or maybe even someplace further. All of this coverage eventually grabbed the attention of one of the country's foremost scientists at the time, and a man whose name would go on to become synonymous with the study of UFOs. Part 2. The OG UFO Researcher J. Allen Hynek was an American astronomer, professor, and UFO researcher who acted as the scientific advisor to the U.S. Air Force under three official UFO studies. Project Sign from 1947 to 1949, Project Grudge from 49 to 51, and Project Blue Book from 1952 to 1969. After concluding work for Project Blue Book in 69, Heinick continued with his own independent UFO research and he developed the close encounter classification system we still use for analyzing UFO experiences today. Incidentally, one of J. Allen Hynek's sons, Joel, is an Oscar-award-winning visual effects supervisor who designed the reflective camouflage effect for the alien in the movie Predator. Hynek was the first to conduct scientific analysis of UFO reports, specifically with regard to the analysis of trace evidence left at supposed UFO landing or crash sites. At the time of the Socorro incident, J. Allen Hynek would have been deeply entrenched in his work for Project Blue Book. The nationwide news coverage of the Socorro UFO and its occupants came to his attention, and he visited the town and the landing location. J. Allen Hynek spoke to Lonnie Zamora, his supervisors, and the FBI agents who had inspected the landing spot he took photos of the landing impressions made by the landing gear as well as the burn ground and the general area. This was one of the pivotal cases where the Air Force, through Project Blue Book, actively prevented Hynek from saying what he truly thought about this case. Project Blue Book's original director, Air Force Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, had held Hynek in high regard, saying, quote, Dr. Hynek was one of the most impressive scientists I met while working on the UFO project, and I met a good many. Heinick also respected Captain Rupelt, and he felt he was guiding the project in the right direction. However, Rupelt only worked for Project Blue Book for a few years, and after his departure, Hynek said that that program quickly degenerated into little more than a public relations exercise, wherein little or no scientific research took place. In 1953, Heineck wrote a report for the Journal of the Optical Society of America entitled Unusual Aerial Phenomena, which contained what has become one of his most famous statements on the subject of UFOs. Heineck writes, Ridicule is not part of the scientific method and people should not be taught that it is. The steady flow of reports, often made in concert by reliable observers, raises questions of scientific obligation and responsibility. Is there any residue that is worthy of scientific attention? Or, if there isn't, does not an obligation exist to say so to the public, not in words of open ridicule, but seriously, to keep faith with the trust the public places in science and scientists? Hynek would continue his work for Project Blue Book for some time after the Socorro sighting, but his disagreements with the Air Force about how to manage the information they were gathering would lead to his much reduced involvement. Hynek felt that the Socorro UFO sighting and the subsequent evidence he collected made up one of the most important UFO sightings in history up to that point. At the conclusion of the official investigation, and according to the Air Force at the time, the UFO seen by Zamora had simply been an experimental aircraft operated by the Air Force itself. And while no experimental craft could account for a sighting at that location or at that time period, the official story, for decades, was that Zamora had simply seen an unaccounted for or unknown experimental aircraft. With regard to which experimental aircraft the Air Force was referring to in this report, their position was, basically, we don't know, but that must have been what it was. In a private memorandum written after his investigation into this case and subsequently discovered among his personal papers by researcher and author Jerome Clark, Hynek wrote that it was clear that the story Project Blue Book had put forth about the supposed experimental craft was a story that the project officials knew to be untrue. But they had made it all up to keep Congress from harassing the Air Force over this matter. According to Lonnie Zamora, the Air Force had no idea what the craft was or where it or its occupants were from, and the officials he spoke with told him as much. That was until 21 years later, when they miraculously figured it all out. In addition to research conducted by Hynek, retired police officer Ted Jordan also visited the location on the day of the sighting. He took photographs of footprints he described as looking like they had been made by coffee cups. This corroborates the testimony of Officer Chavez, who also described seeing round footprints at the site. On that day, Air Force officials at the investigation confiscated the roll of film Officer Jordan had used to take the footprint photos they said that after analysis, he could have the film back. When Jordan later inquired about getting his film back from the Air Force, they claimed that the film had been damaged by radiation at the site and contained no photos, so the film had been disposed of. Jordan always thought this to be evidence of a cover-up. One FBI document from the Bureau Office in Albuquerque states that, quote, Lieutenant Colonel, name redacted, from Kirkland Air Force Base could not explain the observations described by Officer Lonnie Zamora at Socorro, New Mexico. The document further states that an investigating major and sergeant said they were impressed by Zamora's sincerity and that they noted no radioactive evidence at the site. This documented statement of no radioactivity at the site seems to refute the Air Force claims that Officer Ted Jordan's photographic film of the footprints had been damaged by such radiation. Project Blue Book documents contain photos designated as footprints. And while some claim these are the landing pad prints, that same document does show those landing gear prints and designates them as vehicle imprints. The Blue Book docs also have photos of the burn shrubs as well as the officers and others at the scene that day. Part 3. Official Story and Hoax Claims And now, after all of this, we come to what are, ironically, the most far-fetched and fantastical parts of this UFO sighting, the debunking positions of the official explanations. And yes, in addition to the mystery experimental aircraft no one can find, there are a few more. It took the Air Force 21 years to offer up their now official explanation of the UFO and alien occupants cited by police officer Lonnie Zamora back in 1964. The Air Force cites logs from the White Sands Missile Base, charting government testing of the then newly developed Lunar Landing Module. The Air Force claims that what Lonnie Zamora saw was the prototype landing module they were developing as part of the space race to the moon. But, according to JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, the lunar landing module being tested and alluded to in the Air Force documents concerning this case had no propulsion system. It could not take off, fly, or land on its own. The Jet Propulsion Laboratory says that the exercises being conducted were to test the landing module's framework and landing gear and the tests involve dropping the module from a fixed tower. And the heart of the White Sands Missile Range is about 170 miles south of Socorro, New Mexico. As Kevin Randall, former Air Force intelligence officer and the author of A History of UFO Crashes, points out, quote, The Air Force explanation simply doesn't work because they have no documentation to place the lunar lander in that portion of New Mexico at that time it does not match Zamora's description. End quote. And he's right. Don't you think Lonnie Zamora would have seen a fixed steel tower holding an experimental lunar landing module aloft on a cable, then dropping it to the ground? And he would have seen the people operating the crane mechanisms and the overall project. And furthermore, according to the Air Force's own documents, their lunar landing module tests on that day ended more than five hours before Lonnie Zamora's sighting. Also, this explanation never arose until 21 years after the event. This is a case of a new explanation given to an old problem that they hope is so old that no one will even look into it further, and that's exactly what happens. In addition, Project Blue Book has 166 pages of material on the Socorro UFO sighting. The official comments in the Project Blue Book Project 10073 record card, Section 11, say, quote, "...initially believed to be observation of lunar module type configuration, effort to date cannot place vehicle at site. Case carried as unidentified pending additional data." And in Section 12 of this same card, there is a list of 12 options with boxes for checking under the heading Conclusions this list is cool the options the officials of project blue book can check in this section are was balloon probably balloon possibly balloon was aircraft probably aircraft possibly aircraft was astronomical probably astronomical possibly astronomical and the last three boxes you can check are other with a blank line after it Insufficient Data for Evaluation, and finally, Unknown. On this card, which is the Project Blue Book record for the Socorro sighting, in the blank field after the heading Other is the typed word Unidentified. And the only box checked is at the bottom of the list, that heading, Unknown. It's interesting that the box for Insufficient Data for Evaluation is not checked, Since the comment section does say that this case is listed as unidentified unless more data is found, then the fact that the insufficient data box is left unchecked leads us to believe that there is enough evidence to designate the flying object that Lonnie Zamora saw as unidentified, which is exactly the conclusion box that is checked. That, by any definition, is an official government document that describes, in no uncertain terms, an unidentified flying object. And yet, the Air Force claims that Lonnie Zamora saw the lunar lander being dropped from a crane. They also say that they sometimes carried this mock-up lander with a helicopter, and some say that Zamora saw the helicopter carrying the lander. Don't you think Lonnie Zamora would know a helicopter if he saw one? Also, Air Force Captain Richard T. Holder investigated this possibility at the time of the incident, and he spoke to the pilots and operational personnel at the White Sands base, who concluded that all helicopters at White Sands were in the hangars at the time of this sighting. All helicopter activity was investigated within 300 miles of the sighting, including Biggs Air Force Base at El Paso, with negative results. Two radar installations, one at White Sands and another at Alamogordo recorded no non-scheduled air traffic in the area of the sighting at that time. Whether you believe the official explanation or not, the proximity of several important military installations surrounding Socorro may play a part in the UFO hypothesis. Socorro, New Mexico is just south of the Los Alamos National Laboratory just north of the white sands missile range and just 50 miles east of the vla or very large array radio telescope installation it has been suggested that if you were a race of intelligent alien beings this would be a logical place to observe our foray into the exploration of space beyond our blue planet the socorro event convinced dr j allen hynek that the truth about ufos was being covered up by the air force Eventually, Heineck left his post at Project Blue Book. They had succeeded in turning one of their most respected and talented researchers into one of their most vocal and adamant critics. The final attempted explanation for Lonnie Zamora's UFO and alien sighting comes even later in the game, and this is a good one. And I have to say that anytime you're investigating a UFO story and you get to the point where there is research being conducted to debunk the debunking explanations, you know you're onto something. Another good sign for a credible UFO sighting is when the debunking explanations are more far-fetched and harder to believe than the UFO story itself. This newest theory about the Socorro UFO event is exactly that. This debunking attempt comes to us from a series of articles written in 2012 on the UFO Explorations website. And all of this and more is linked in the Dark Intel Files on our Patreon page, which has both free and paid content. Join the Renegade Files Agency on Patreon and help the show stay ad-free. Thank you. The summary of this theory is that the object that Lonnie Zamora saw was created and developed by college students as an elaborate prank on the officer. The previous president of the New Mexico Institute of Mining and Technology, NMIT, Dr. Sterling Colgate, received a letter from Linus Pauling at the University of California, San Diego, dated June 19, 1968, thanking him for a visit he had with Colgate at Socorro. At the bottom of the letter is a handwritten question asking Colgate what he thought about Zamora, Chavez, and his feelings about the UFO incident. Below that appears Colgate's two-line reply, handwritten in blue ink, and it reads, I have good indication of student who engineered hoax. Student has left. Cheers, Sterling. Based on these two partial sentences, the author of this article contacted the NMIT and compiled the story that claims to explain the entire event. It concludes that two NMIT students faked the UFO by launching a homemade white paper hot air balloon illuminated by a candle inside it. The story is that they set it up in the scrub brush and launched it when they saw the police car coming. The sterno powering the balloon and the glowing candle inside it burnt the shrubs, and the kids ran away. Some speculation also exists that the speeding car Zamora was initially chasing was part of the prank to lure the officer to the site so they could launch the balloon and make him think it was a UFO. All of this seems highly suspect, to say the least. It's a case of reverse-engineering the events of an established story to fit the hoax narrative, An established story, by the way, that Lonnie Zamora has never changed or even adjusted once since 1964. First of all, a homemade hot air balloon doesn't have four landing gear legs. It doesn't look like a solid metal object. It doesn't make an explosion loud enough to shake the ground. It wouldn't hover for a few minutes, then fly off so far that it vanished into the sky before a policeman's eyes. Zamora would have seen the college kids orchestrating and launching the balloon, and the entire thing is based on two short sentences at the bottom of one letter from decades ago. The author of the hoax theory article did interview Sterling Colgate recently, and all Colgate really says is that he still thinks it was a balloon hoax. So, college kids with a homemade paper air balloon with a candle inside it fooled police officers Zamora, Chavez, Air Force Captain Richard T. Holder, the FBI, J. Allen Hynek, and a car of tourists who said it flew over their car going 150 miles an hour. And the glowing effects and light flashes reported by Zamora were just a candle these college kids put inside their paper hot air balloon in the daytime. These kinds of huge air quotes, debunking stories are fabricated to give skeptics a quick one-line answer so they can disengage from conversations without expending the energies of thinking. Oh, Socorro? Yeah, that was a hoax. Kids made a balloon to trick the cop. Whatever. Famous UFO skeptic Philip J. Klass claimed that what Zamora had seen was ball lightning which is odd since the day was clear and there were no thunderstorms or lightning for Miles. Class also said that Zamora had made the story up to generate publicity for Socorro. These, like most of Class's assertions over the years, are weak. Weaker still is the idea put forth by UFO skeptic Stuart Campbell that what Zamora saw was the star Canopus in the daytime. And I guess it landed in a field and burned the sand into glass, too. Thank you, Stuart. Part 4. The Physical Evidence In the ensuing days after the reported sighting of the landing craft, its wandering occupants, and its takeoff and flight out of sight, Socorro and the landing site itself drew the attention of film crews from news agencies across the country. Regional and even national networks filmed the landing spot, the depressions made by the landing gear, and the purported alien footprints and the scorched earth. Many of these excursions were led by Zamora. J. Allen Hynek also spent a good amount of time in Socorro and he documented all of his conversations as well as his visits to the landing site in subsequent years all of the footage obtained by these various news agencies and broadcast on their myriad of news shows and programs was confiscated by unnamed government agencies and the whereabouts of this footage is as lost as nasa's original footage of the moon landings however the russell family had been on vacation traveling through new mexico in april of 1964. The father, being interested in UFOs and knowing the history of activity surrounding White Sands and Los Alamos, struck up a conversation with a police officer while stopped at a gas station. That officer just happened to be Lonnie Zamora, and he took the Russell family to the landing site. They filmed home movie footage of the landing and takeoff site, complete with burned rocks and shrubs, footprints, and landing pad depressions in the dry New Mexico soil. Their footage is valuable because it shows the same physical evidence depicted in films made by multiple news agencies and that the military felt warranted confiscation. This footage can be seen in a 1996 episode of Sightings, which I will post in our dark intel files on Patreon. The home movie shows the landing pad indentations and the black charred shrubs, but it is grainy and while interesting, It isn't a definitive, visual depiction of the scene, but it is cool to watch, for sure. Probably the best source of photographic evidence for this case resides in the Project Blue Book files themselves. There is also a deep collection of letters and documents from the FBI, the Air Force, and other interested parties. This is a case filled with credible testimonies, disappearing and confiscated clues, and enduring mysteries. My Summary This is one of those cases that I had heard about years ago. It always seemed like a credible sighting to me, and once I had the chance to dig deeper into the official records and the footage of Zamora in the scene, the whole thing still holds up to be a UFO, an unidentified flying object. At the same time, what Lonnie Zamora saw is exactly that, unidentified. Ultimately, this is a very interesting case It has endured for decades, and it's become almost legend in the UFO researcher community. A few things that jump out at me about this case right from the beginning. First of all, this occurred a very long time ago. This happened in 1964, and that at this point is 57 years ago. So for us to look back, we are using a very long lens to imagine... What was going on, and, and what the people thought, and, and sort of what the reaction was. We have to remember 1964 that's prime time American UFO activity. This is the era of Roswell. This is the era of the Manhattan Project and the testing of, the, of nuclear weapons. This is uh, wartime. This is the space race. There's a lot going on that has put the subject of UFOs and aliens in the popular culture in the zeitgeist, as it were. Remember, this is a time when people referred to all aliens as Martians. And there there was just this popular idea that little green men, and we joke about little green men now, but that was really a popular conception at the time. So there was a lot going on. That would have been the subject of aliens, would have been the water cooler chat. It would have been the sort of popular soap opera that everyone chatted about every now and then. It was a time where there were very strong opinions about alien races and alien life and it divided the country into people who believed it and people who thought those people were crazy and the And both sides were very vocal. So you're dealing with a different era and a different conception of little spacemen or whatever. So that does play a part in someone describing something that they saw. That brings me to the second thing that jumps out to me about this case is that The whole thing is based on the testimony of basically one person. Now, if it hadn't been for the family who described the same thing to a gas station owner at the same time, then we would really be dealing with just one guy's word. So, we do have some cooperation of multiple witnesses seeing a similar thing and describing it in the similar way at the similar time, so that lends a lot to the story. At the same time... As credible and honest as Lonnie Zamora is, that doesn't mean that he couldn't make a mistake. It also doesn't mean that he might have seen something that while he did not know what it was, that someone else knew, right? Because this location is halfway between Los Alamos National Laboratory and White Sands, and it's near the very large array. So you're talking about aerospace activity in the area, military presence. And it is quite possible that what Lonnie Zamora saw was a top-secret experimental military craft, and that the military saying they don't know what it was is just part of their M.O. I mean, not saying they know what it is is sort of par for the course in the category of top-secret experimental military aircraft. So there's that distinct possibility. Another thing that stands out to me about this case in particular is it is one of those, and I've said it before, that falls into the category of a wildly different version of a UFO. So this craft, described by Lani Zamora, once again is unlike any other UFO that I have ever heard of being described anywhere. It is egg-shaped, it has four landing gear struts, the aliens that come out of it are dressed in a white which is the opposite of the aliens at the aerial school which were dressed in black. I mean this situation of these sort of experiences being so wildly varied is a part of what makes it so mysterious I guess I mean if we were all seeing the same thing all the time I think that people would feel a little more comfortable saying well yeah I saw it too but this is a situation where but very often the situation is that every time we see a ufo it looks different so the case of lani zamora fits exactly into that category of something that's just wildly unlike anything else anyone has ever described another thing is you have very credible people that go there and say well there's no evidence of a hoax and that's fine too but you're talking about looking at scrub ground and dips in the dirt and maybe a bush that's burned and they're like, yeah, well, that looks like what he said, but that doesn't mean anything really. And finally, we have some very credible people like J. Allen Hynek and the Air Force officials saying that when we looked at the area, nothing that we saw refuted anything that Lonnie Zamora said. There was no evidence of a hoax and everything that we discovered matched up perfectly with what he described. Okay, that's fine, but that really doesn't tell us anything either, because what you're talking about is rugged, rocky, sort of deserty scrubland, and what we're seeing are depressions in the ground and a burnt bush. You know, I mean, yeah, sure, they're like, well, there's the depressions in the ground and there's the burnt bush. He said that that's what happened, and it looks like he's telling the truth. It doesn't mean that he's lying, but it also doesn't mean anything definitive about what he saw. It's just sort of a won't hurt, might help kind of nice little nod toward what they saw when they were there. They're not seeing much. It's not like the UFO left like a video of what it did. We don't have any photos of the craft. What we've got is pictures of the ground and pictures of a burnt tree. While it's interesting, and I guess it corroborates what uh, Lonnie Zamora says, it's pretty scant evidence for what J. Allen Hynek calls the most important UFO event in history up to that point. It's not to take away anything from Lonnie Zamora or his story. It's just the fact is that there's there's scant little evidence here. Yes, it corroborates what he says if what happened happened in the way he said it. But it doesn't mean that something he totally didn't understand that was not a spaceship with aliens. It could have been a lot of things. So, I don't know. I think it's a credible story because the witness is credible. I think there's scant evidence, even though that little bit of evidence was analyzed by a lot of people. The FBI, J. Allen Hynek, Project Blue Book, the Air Force. All of them saying, well... It doesn't look like any hoax was perpetrated here, but then what would a hoax look like on the rocky, dirty ground out in a desert arroyo, which is basically a word for a ditch? So, you know, it's a it's a cool case, and it's fun to listen to the testimonies, and it's cool that Lonnie Zamora has gone on the record, and he's never wavered from his testimony, you know? I tend to believe that he saw something unique there. What it was, you know, I, I'm not really sure. I can't tell you what it is. All I can tell you is what I believe it is not. It is not a prototype lunar lander dropped from a crane. It is not a lunar lander being carried by a helicopter. It is not a homemade paper hot air balloon with a candle inside it. It is not ball lightning in a clear blue sky. It is not a star in the daytime it is not a publicity stunt for the town, and it is not a UFO incident likely to soon be forgotten. 10-4. Thank you sincerely for helping me investigate the Socorro UFO sighting. Subscribe or follow the show now so together we can meet here every 10 days and explore the deepest covert stories where logic clashes with the official narrative. I'm glad to have you in the Renegade Files crew. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, signing off for now. Stay wild, underground child.